0: new to church this morning, welcome. You made it. Uh, this is the, the portion of our time that I like to refer to as the conversation starter. This conversation, it, it begins with us and will hopefully lead to God and we uh, will hopefully use some of the language in a book like this uh, that we call the Bible. I enjoy viewing this time as a conversation because it's fun for me to imagine how each of you would finish this sermon, how this conversation would continue maybe at your workplace tomorrow, how it could continue at home with your family or at school among peers. I enjoy the thought of some of you gathering around the lunch table this afternoon, talking about maybe how you read the scriptures differently or how a particular phrase in the Bible this morning was challenging to you or life experiences that came to mind as we chatted this morning. This desire to to see this larger gathering of worship make its way into our daily lives There's something really built into our faith. You see it in the ministry of Jesus, in the huge crowds of people that he eventually breaks off into smaller groups, into gatherings, into intimate discussions, into conversations while he's on the way doing ministry, activities, serving, encountering people. This is the beginning of a conversation that hopefully continues outside of these doors. Today, one of the ways that that happens often in our churches is we have a phrase for that. We call them small groups that are highly encouraged here in our community. And if you haven't been a part of a small group, these, these gatherings usually take place in someone's home, maybe five to ten people, where you sit around and you discuss what was transformational about what we did this Sunday. Why does this hour matter? And really, where is the intersection between my everyday life and this message that originated thousands of years ago? Why does it matter? There's one particular, I guess you could say, uh, a style of small group that has existed for decades and is really it occurs across our nation uh, oftentimes in a church basement uh, usually with a small collection of old folding chairs set up in a circle and often with a pot of poorly made coffee in the corner And these meetings, they begin with introductions. Something like this. Hi, my name is Travis, and I'm an alcoholic. Or, hi, my name is Travis, I'm here for compulsive gambling. Or food. Or narcotics. Or sex. And these groups, they're they're founded upon 12 principles, steps, where step one is something like this. We admitted we are powerless, that our lives have become unmanageable. We admitted we are powerless, that our lives have become unmanageable. That's step one, <laughs> that's quite the beginning to a conversation. Can you imagine that here at the coffee cart? You see someone, hey, good to see you, how's life? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's actually unmanageable. I'm, um, turns out I'm pretty powerless to make any changes. Hey, okay, you enjoy that donut? <laughs> um, <laughs> It's vulnerable. It's raw, right? The the beauty of these groups is that they do away with any false pretense with presenting our best selves, which is actually our false selves. It's raw. It's imperfect. But it's human. These words, powerless, powerless, unmanageable. They invite you to take a step towards humility in hopes that that humility turns into surrender, a surrender that, similar to that of Jesus. Last week, John introduced the beginning of a series in this book that we call Philippians. That isn't really a book. It's actually a letter that we've preserved in a book A letter from a man named Paul, who John shared last week, describes himself as a slave, a slave of Jesus. Some of your Bibles might say a servant of Jesus. A humble introduction to a humble letter, inviting us to a humble lifestyle. And so, in Paul's letter to the Philippian church, we read this. If you're following along, this is in chapter 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In most Christian churches, You'll see one of these hanging on the wall or on the roof. And one of the things that it does is it reminds us of what it means to be human. That we all share in this experience of suffering that we are all too familiar with this, with this thing called death. The cross, it humbles us. But not just that, it reminds us that we have found a God, or better yet, that a a God has found us who has experienced the same suffering, who experiences suffering. This same God can look us in the eye sincerely and say, I get it. This God who boldly claims that there will still be light in the midst of darkness. There will still be joy after the morning. There will still be life after death. There is resurrection and true, true salvation for each of us. One of his names is Emmanuel. God is. With us. In Jesus, we discover this path of salvation that begins with humility and it matures in obedient service, both to God and to his people. As the author of Philippians puts it, in Jesus, we see someone who did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regarded others. As better than himself. Someone who did not look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And Paul continues, therefore, my beloved. He reminds them first, before the application point, of who they are my beloved, my loved ones. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul uses the greatest object lesson he can think of by painting a picture of Jesus on a cross. And he encourages the church Continue to obey as Jesus was obedient. Obey these things that I have taught you, whether I'm in prison or I'm freed, obey. And he commands them as a community, as a whole, as a group, as a saved people, to work towards unity and service and self-sacrifice. Paul paints a picture of salvation that extends beyond that one time at a Billy Graham or Harvest Crusade. That extends beyond the moment you lifted your hand in that little church. The first experience with God, your first time feeling that you were his beloved, the first time knowing his presence, is the most beautiful experience in your life. And Paul takes that experience and he stretches it over our entire lifetimes and says, what does it look like for you to be saved today? How about tomorrow? For you to experience salvation this week, what does that look like? An ancient Greek poet may have summarized it well. He simply said, become what you are. Become what you are. If you've met God, if you've received his loving kindness, his grace, his mercy, if you are saved, then leave here and go be saved. Become what you are. If you're here today and you have no idea what I'm talking about, but it sounds intriguing, we can have a conversation at the end of our time together. For this Philippian church, salvation looked like overcoming strife within community, practicing forgiveness Loving others as Jesus loved us, pursuing unity at all costs. What does salvation look like for living spring? Backpacks? Toys for tots? What else? As we gather in God's presence, humbly, diligently, Paul uses the words fear and trembling. How is God calling us today to work out our salvation? Before you feel overwhelmed by that question, this task of of working out or living out your salvation, chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says this. For it is God who is at work in you. Enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's a partnership. The worship team could come back up. If you happen to find yourself in a church basement sometime, sitting in a circle with a bad pot of coffee in the corner. Ask someone next to you what 12's, what step 12 is. It begins with admitting that we're powerless, that our lives have become unmanageable. And it ends with this, having had a spiritual awakening or having experienced salvation as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. When you experience salvation, this God who is humble and familiar with our suffering works in us new desires, new actions to humbly serve him and his people. As one student of the 12 steps reflected, it was all grace. All along, it was grace. How is God's grace saving you today?